Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. And uh, we are in our second part of our series of I've Got Questions. And over the last several weeks, we've been kind of talking about the culture we're living in, this current culture, and how it's, this culture is basically mirror, mirroring, I can say that, mirroring that of what Paul is kind of talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, which has kind of been our theme scripture uh, for this series. And uh, I want to read that first before we get to 1 John 4, but this is what it says. It says, now the Spirit expresses, expresses, man, I am struggling today, expresses, yeah, says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, the Living Bible kind of hits a little more at home uh, towards it, and this is what it says. It says, but the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some in the church... Some in the church will turn away from Christ and become eager followers of teachers with devil-inspired ideas. And so what this is painting is kind of painting this picture of these devil-inspired ideas that are being allowed entrance into our lives, into believers' lives, where they, they, there's not a clarity to what, what is truth and what is not truth. Because the enemy, wouldn't you say, is so good at deception? He, he's very good at deception. So everything he brings to the table, he's not, he's not a creator of truth, right? We have to recognize that. He is not a creator of truth. He is a deceiver. And so he's putting things that, especially in this culture, that are out to deceive even believers. It's, it's deceiving people. And so without a, a strong root system of God's word, then what happens is, is that it's easy to stray from the truth of what the Bible has to say because we have no recollection of it. We, we, don't, we can't recall it. We don't understand it. Well, it must be the way that it is. And so we have to understand that as this, what we've talked about is this postmodernism, like it, it's mutating at a rapid pace in this culture. And, you know, the whole idea is the fact that there is no absolute truth, so therefore all truth must be destroyed. And really, I think in the body of Christ, we need to be stirred up. We need to be awakened to the fact that what Paul just, what I just read from what Paul said is actually happening. It's actually happening in this day and age. Which means for us more than ever, we need to be able to stand on God's word. God's word needs to be the foundation in which we stand upon. And, and, and if we don't, then we'll fall into those, those areas where we're deceived. And it, and it could be little things, right? The Bible talks about how the little foxes spoil the vine. So we could be deceived in very little, tiny things, but see what happens if we don't guard our heart, we don't watch, then what happens is those little, tiny things start to spread in our life, where all of a sudden it starts to spoil, and it starts to get rotten, and it starts to get worse. And then next thing you know, we're farther away from God than we've ever been in our life. 
But it's because, one, we're not taking seriousness, serious the, 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 the fact that we need to be able to dive in and we need to develop a discipline for God's Word. And so last week we started kind of in the second phase by talking about the purpose of relationships and how we should have an eternal perspective in partnering with God so that people can be rescued, right? That should be our ultimate goal when it comes to relationships, that we are intent on, on rescuing people so that they will be saved. They will get to know who this Jesus is that we know. And then in that process, helping them to be able to discover what God, right, what God has for their purpose, to fulfill the purpose that God has for their life. And um, although I didn't say this last week, that can be difficult at times. Because some people are very acceptable, they'll accept it. And some people, man, it might be kind of painful. It might be rough. It might be hard. I don't know if you have any relatives in your family that don't know the Lord, but man, you try to share Jesus and, and what happens? Sometimes they'll rise up and get mad and angry and stop telling me this. I don't want to hear this. I don't want that. There are times where, you know what, when you stand in for what you believe in and what you try to go out and rescue those that you love, sometimes it's going to be harsh. It might be a little rough. It might be a little tough. But see, don't give into that because you have eternal perspective my number one goal in my relationships with people is to help rescue them now you don't do the rescuing jesus does but you have a part to play in the process of that and don't let the enemy rip you off and make you feel like oh well you know what it's just not working i'm going to give up let them just do whatever no you keep praying you keep talking you keep sharing and we'll get into a little bit more of that. And so this morning we're going to talk. Um, we're going to talk about how to walk in love as men and women of God in a postmodern culture. And so the title of today's message is simply that: What does it mean to walk in love? First John chapter four, verse seven through eleven says, "Those who are loved by God." Now this is in the Passion translation. For those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another. Because God is love. Say that with me. God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shine within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones. I love that. You are a delight, delightfully loved have you ever thought about that? You are delightfully loved. He says, if he loved us with such tremendous love, and then here's the kicker, right? Then loving one another should be our way of life. Loving one another should be our way of life. So here in this passage, John is saying, those who are loved, let us love. Plain and simple. Those who are loved, let us love. Because 
We love one another because we are loved by God and love comes from God. And as we um, ourselves have, have received this love because of our, our relationship and our knowledge of Him, basically what happens is you know, we have to do a, a, a personal assessment, right? Our personal assessment should be then, are we living in light of His love towards those around us? Are we living in light of His love towards those around us? Only you can answer it. But I have to do that, my own personal assessment. And there's times where, you know what, I'm going to be honest with you. No, I don't always walk in love all the time. And I know, oh my gosh, you're a pastor. You're supposed to walk in love all the time. But you know what? There are times when, man, my flesh rises up and is not walking in love, right? Anybody? 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 Yeah, okay, a few. All right, everyone else is holy. But, 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 but we have to understand that, you know what? Since, I, since we are loved by God, then it is our duty and it should be our way of life to love others. But here's the sad thing, okay? That God, that the fact that God is love has really been twisted, I believe, in this culture to, to kind of cover so many different things that are going on. And let, let me kind of let me kind of explain that. I believe because you know what, with that, we can say, well, God is love, yeah, for sure. But I think sometimes then we people allow sin to be compromised or, or compromise. Let, let people compromise in their sin. That I, I probably butchered that. But see, God's heart is the fact that, you know what? No, there, there's a standard that God has set. Okay? And in that love, we are supposed to express the standard. But what happens is a lot of times we allow sin to happen. We, we, allow, we, we just let it go because, you know what? Well, I, but I want to love them. I want to make them feel good. I, I, I want to affirm them. I want to support them. I want to encourage them. I want to be careful, right? Never to offend them. But see, that is not how God wants us to be. But see, a lot of times in this culture, we, we're, we're at that stage where everything is like, oh, don't offend that person, right? If you say something about that sin or about the way they're walking or the path, you know, the, the Bible talks about how there is a narrow path to walk, in the narrow gate, and then there's this wide path of sin. Yet, a lot of times we see people walking on the wide path of sin, but we don't want to offend them. We don't want to, you know, make them feel, oh, oh, you know, unsupported or affirming. So oftentimes what happens is we don't say anything. But here's the deal. Ephesians 4.15 says that, you know what, we need to rise up and speak the truth in love. We need to speak the truth in love. And what that means is we should deal with them in love, but we will never budge from the truth. We should deal with them in love, but never budge the truth. So let's look at this. What does it mean to walk in love? Well, the very first point that I want to make today is God's commandment is to walk in love. God's commandment is to walk in love. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked what he believed to be the greatest, what the greatest commandment was. 
And this was his response. You've heard it before. He says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So notice, it starts with loving God and progresses us to love those who are made in His image. Okay? Remember, it starts first with loving God. Then it causes us then to begin to love those in His image. And we cannot consistently follow the second without consistently following the first. Does that make sense? We have to first consistently follow our love for God. Because out of that is born the love for your neighbor. You can't can't get it vice versa. Because you can say, well, I love my neighbor. Yeah, I kind of love God. God's kind of there. But see, that's when a compromise comes in, I think. Where we don't necessarily put, no, no, this is the standard in which God has said relationships should be built upon. This is the standard in which we should live our lives and not a life of sin. So what happens is, is if we put God first into the picture, then you know what? We have a foundation to be able to love people even though they're walking in, in patterns of sin. And then helping them. Helping them to pull themselves out of that. But see, we've got to grow first in our relationship and knowledge of God. Right? That's why it says in 1 John 4 or 7, those who are loved by God, let, it, let His love continually pour from one from you to, uh, to one another because God is love. And then it says, everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of Him. See, God wants to give you a deep, deep understanding of who He is. See, but it's never, it's never um, God's fault for us not having a deep understanding of who He is. It's always on us. Because it's how far will we take it? How far will we take our relationship with God? Will we just kind of, you know, as an example, how many have ever been to a pool before? Or even the lake, for an example, right? So a lot of times what we'll do the first, when we first get there, Dip the foot in, right? To see how cold it is or kind of, you know, whatever. So a lot of times what happens is we get saved, but then what happens is we kind of just kind of get a little bit of our feet wet and say, okay, well, I'm saved. This is great. Uh, I go to church. I'm kind of doing some things for God. But we never go deeper in our relationship with Him. We We don't get up to the knee deep. We don't get up to the, to the waist deep. We don't get up because, you know what? We, we've, we feel like, okay, that, that's, that's all we can go. But see, God, it's all, God's developed all of this, this, this knowledge and revelation for us that he wants to give us, but it's always on us. It's never on God. Because sometimes people will say, well, you know, God's just not sharing or God's not speaking or God, I don't, I don't know enough of God's word. Well, point Take the mirror and look at yourself, and it's on you. It's not on him. He's given it to you, and he wants to develop and cultivate this relationship with you, but you've got to be able to say, you know what? Ah, first, that's the very first thing that I want. 
So God is love and Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of what it means to love. It's what love looks like in the flesh. When you read about Jesus in Scripture, you see love in the flesh. Yet, so many, and, and I'll say in the church and you know, outside the church, have kind of embraced their own narrative of what they kind of feel that love is. Right? So they kind of put their narrative towards God. God, this is, this is kind of the way it should be when actually Scripture shares so much about the fact of what, God, what God's love truly is. And, you know, looking at it, you could approach it from, from many angles, I guess you could say. But, but the concept of love, a lot of times, um, is, is this emotional kind of feeling kind of, of love. Um, it's kind of from this, you know, um, I guess you would say kind of a Greco-Roman myth of, of kind of this romantic love where, you know, some little fat cherub flies around with wings and shoots an arrow and hits them and, you know, makes them feel all the warm fuzzies and all the good things, you know, like that, right? You remember when you first started dating and everything, and you're like, oh, I must have got hit by love. No, you didn't, right? Well, you did, maybe, but in a different way, okay? No little fat cherub came flying around and all that stuff, okay? But, but see, that's the thing where a lot of today is it's about the emotionalism, it's about, oh man, you know what, I just, I, you know, they, they kind of, they say kind of strange things like, you know, the heart wants, wants what the heart wants, and, um, you know, I don't get to choose to fall in love, it just kind of happens, and all of those, the, uh, you know, it's just kind of ah, weird. It makes them say crazy things, right? And this notion of feeling, this feeling-oriented type of love kind of not kind of um, limited, I would say, even to romance. I mean, we kind of get an idea of it when, we, when it comes to marriage. But it has, it's gotten, and it's spread itself kind of into other relationships as well. Um, because then what happens is our relationships with people are all about how, um, how we feel about them or how do they make us feel um, when we're with them. But it really leaves no room for God's command of love and what love means. And this feeling kind of love has a problem, right? When you, when you base love based on just strictly feelings, it has a problem because it's not stable, right? Because, you know, feelings change. Here, let me give you a statistic. It says here that um, um, inside and outside of the church, where... 40 to 50% of first-time marriages end in divorce. And 60 to 70% of second and third marriages do the same thing. That's crazy. But see, our culture is all about this, this feeling kind of love. But see, the love of God sometimes, you know, and, and, and it does cause a problem, I think, because oftentimes then what we do is we feel like, oh, well, we need the warm fuzzies to feel like God loves us. But that's not true, right? No, we don't. We don't need the warm fuzzies because there is times, even as a pastor, I don't feel the warm fuzzies with God. I don't. You know, and the enemy will come right away and he'll say, hey, he must not love you today. 
because you don't feel the warm fuzzies. And so if I did that, then man, I am sinking all day long. Have you ever been there before? I have. And you're sinking all day, but you have to be able to say, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. It's not based on the warm fuzzies. It's not based on any of that. What it is is the fact that, you know what? God loves me no matter what. He loves me. He loves you no matter what. So what happens then, if we just go based on feelings, then we're, all, we're so inconsistent with God. It's just all over the map. But see, we have to get to a point where we recognize that, you know what? No matter what, it doesn't matter what is going on, the problem, the situation, even if I got mad at the person who can't drive their car very well and I'm in my car and I'm behind them, even in that moment, God still loves me. He still loves you. You could, I mean, you have to be able to recognize that. But see, that's the whole thing, man. In this postmodernism, it's kind of you know, trying to, to, to make this idea that, you know what, it's all about feeling. It's all about how you feel. And, and, and the only way you can know for sure is if you feel it in some way, shape, or form. And so what it's done, it's basically taken away these lifelong commitments of marriage. It's taken away the lifelong commitment of a covenant relationship. In, in, in what God has developed and designed for life to be, what marriage is supposed to be. Because they look at it and say, well, love doesn't really last anyways. So why not just give your heart to whatever it wants, when it wants it, with whoever it wants, right? Until the heart no longer wants it anymore. So it goes from feeling-based feeling to passion-based. And that's not correct either. So all of that then, what it does, it fosters this kind of um, this cultural belief that one cannot choose or control emotions and what they feel. And because of that, all negative, emotion, negative emotions are harmful. Whatever doesn't feel good is toxic and should be rejected, right? Leading one to change, um, eliminate, cancel, or deconstruct truth in order to protect one's emotion, right? That's why we have these thing, t- uh, um, trigger warnings, right? That you see present. Oh, hey, you know what? I just want you to be aware that there is something here that might be a topic that's going to trigger somebody or get someone to feel all uncomfortable. Have you seen those? Yep. Or you have the, um, the follow your heart baseline, meaning that the heart is ultimately the barometer of truth and our thinking only gets in the way, which is kind of the, the, the mantra for the postmodern wisdom. And then two, you can't forget, I'm the offended escape clause, which is the 11th commandment in their book. Right? I'm offended. Which really should read, thou, thou shall be nice all the time. But see, what that does is just, it, it basically silences the Ten Commandments. That's what they're out to do. They're out to silence the Ten Commandments. They, won't, they, they, they don't feel like they're relevant. But thou shall be nice all the time. John chapter 1, verse 14. 
And, and before I get there, you know, it, it's, it's kind of sad that in, in a lot of ways, many believers have bought into this, this kind of cultural idea of love um, and have based the way they love one another, even in the body of Christ, you know, according to that kind of idea, that feeling thing. But we've got to know that this is not the love of God and it's not how God loves us, nor is it how God has called us to love. Okay? John 1.14 tells us this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here Jesus gives us a clear picture of who God is. What God is like. How God loves. Simply by living it out before us in Scripture. Jesus came full of grace and truth, which was revealed to the people by how He loved them. And so it should be for us. As we grow more like Him, we need to operate in grace and truth. Which leads us to the second point. God's love is seasoned with grace. God's love is seasoned with grace. Remember, we're talking about how do we encounter, how do we walk this out in a postmodern world? How do we walk this love out? Well, God's love is seasoned with grace. Now, grace means goodwill, loving kindness, unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. Someone has defined it as that which God does within you without you. But perhaps the simplest definition of all is that grace is the generosity of love. Grace is love giving itself. The Bible tells us in um, 1 Corinthians 13 what God's love seasoned with grace looks like. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And then verse 8, the first part, love never fails. And I am so grateful and so thankful that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Especially in my life, right? And what, what I, again, what I'm so thankful for, he's not 50% of love, right? Or grace. He's not 50% of truth. He's the full hundred in each of them. He knows how to be able to balance both at the same time. And function in both at the same time. And one of the things that we see in, in the life and ministry of Jesus is that he was basically the polar opposite of the religious leaders. Would you agree with that? He was totally polar opposite. The religious leaders were harsh, legalistic, and judgmental. And in John chapter 8, which is where we're going to, we're going to find the religious leaders bringing a, a, to Jesus a woman who was caught in adultery. And in verse 2, it says this, 
Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple. Okay, so the temple was a public place where he was at. And all that people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Right? I could just see their fingers pointing right at it. But what do you say? Um, verse 6. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Now we're going to stop here for a second. Okay? And so as we, we're pausing here, can you see, obviously, the religious leaders had an agenda? I mean, first it looks, I, you know, when I read this, the first time I read it, I didn't, never even caught this, but now the more that I've read it, man, it, this was a total setup. Because, think about this, legally speaking, the standard for someone to bring an accusation back then was that two witnesses had to totally agree on what they saw. Not only that, right? They actually had to catch them in the act of doing what it was that they were doing. And I just think about, man, how fortunate it is that the religious leaders just had a knack to show up at that given time with what she was doing with whatever the guy, with the guy, in a pr private place. I mean, the coincidence crazy, right? They just kind of stumbled upon it. Not only that, where's the guy? Because the Moses law says that if two are caught in adultery, both should be stoned. Both shall be killed. Yet in the story, they only bring the lady. Something fishy, right? Did he just happen to get away? Did he just happen to jump over the fence and the priest couldn't jump over because he had the robe on and, ah, can do it? I don't know. But somehow, it seems like this was a setup, right? I often thought, too, I wonder if they paid him off. You know, like, hey, catch her. Let's catch her in this, this moment. And so what happens is, is really they just want to make a public spectacle, one, not only to catch Jesus in what he's going to say so that they could mock that, but you know what? They wanted to make her a public public spectacle in front of all these people. So what they did is they, I guess they snatched her in the act. They drug her down the street. They took her to the temple. They throw her into the middle of the crowd where Jesus was teaching. All of this to bring shame and humility upon her. And I'm, I'm sure it happened, right? Then in verse 6, let's read this. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So right here, we see a moment of God's love seasoned with grace. Because instead of reacting with anger or immediate outrage like the religious leaders did, Jesus paused and he stooped down. And the act of stooping down indicates humility. So I believe Jesus was sending a message in that moment. 
He was saying, I, in a way, identify with you. I see you. He sees the woman in total humiliation, but he's bowing or he's stooping down and he's recognizing and basically trying to tell her, I identify with you. I, 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 I'm showing you that I see you. You're not someone who doesn't matter. He's showing her that he cared for her. Even in her sinful condition, he cared for her. He showed her, hey, you matter. I see you. Right? Unlike her accusers, who were just ready to death, slam her, ready to stone her, ready to kill her, instead Jesus stooped down, looked her in the eye probably. I was like, I see you. I'm not agreeing with what you're doing, but I see you. You're important. I want you to know that. So then in, in John uh, verse 7, 8 through 7, uh, I'm sorry, 7 through 11, it says, so when they continued asking him, so they were basically pestering him and nagging him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So Jesus gave him a little bit of kind of a, 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 a truth lesson here in a sense. Verse 8, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Nobody knows what he wrote. Everyone has guessed. Nobody knows. But, and then it says in 9, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accuser of yours? Has no one uh, condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now, notice this. He approaches this with grace. Okay? He's not being legalistic. He's not being harsh. He's not being, you know, rude or anything like that. But there is grace upon his life to, to be able to say, you know what, neither do I condemn you. But then he says this. This is key. Okay? He says, go. What that word go basically means for now on, don't do it again. And sin no more. Remember we said Jesus came in grace and in truth. Right? We see grace involved there where he says, hey, neither do I condemn you, but here's the truth. Go and sin no more. Stop living that way because that is not right. That is proper, uh, improper, right? So with tenderness and love in his eyes, Jesus met her where she was, didn't condemn her, and said he forgave her and told her to stop that continual cycle of sin in her life. And here's the deal. At least this is in my heart and this is what I feel like is, is true. She found refuge In her, through, through this encounter with Jesus, right? She found refuge in her connection to Jesus even though he didn't approve of or accept her sin. She still found refuge in that. Could that be possible with us and people? Could we walk in grace and truth and 
maybe not at the moment, but maybe at the moment, could people find refuge in the fact of who Jesus is and of the loving Savior that He is and that He is full of grace and full of truth? I think it's possible, right? Because the Bible says that we're supposed to imitate Christ. We're supposed to be walking this out to the best of our ability, imitating Him. So I think it's highly possible that we can approach people. Not, we don't approve of their sin, We don't say, oh, yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah, you know, figure it out, whatever. No, we tell them truth, and we tell them, you know what? Go, sin no more, but we're not attacking. We're not pushing this judgment on them. We're saying, hey, you know what? I know a better way. I know a better way that you can live. But that, and and so I really do believe that can be us in this postmodern, you know, culture that we, we live in. Because we don't have to approve and accept people's sin. But man, we can definitely pull people out that are ensnared by the current cultural theology of the day by just walking in grace and in truth. Right? Connecting people to Jesus. Connecting Him to who He is and the truth of who He is. Right? It's that love seasoned with grace. Season with grace. I don't agree with what you're doing, but you know what? I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to say, you know what? God sees you. God values you. God sees you as important, but I want to help you know the truth, and the truth is this, and then be able to help them, pull them out of this, this bondage or of these ideas or, 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 or thoughts or philosophies that this culture is, is continuing just to grow and grow in people's lives. So the very last one, then, we already said uh, grace. The last one is God's love is based in truth. And truth means not hidden. Truth is the real state of affairs in any matter and under any condition. It's reality and fact. Truth is the real picture of God, man, and the world. Listen to me. You hear that? Truth is the real picture of God. Truth is the Bible. God's Word, right? It's the true picture of God and of man. We are a sinful people. But by the grace of God, we have been saved through faith. Right? And so we can walk in righteousness and then even what the world. I mean, we see all kinds of stuff that we read here and go, wow, the world is, is, is that for sure. But see, that's why we always look at things from God's perspective in every situation. And if we really do believe the Bible and all that God says, then the most loving thing we can do is to speak the truth in love. Right? And not in anger or in hatred or in snarkiness or in judgment. I mean, you can go on Facebook to see all of that stuff, right? Someone posts something about a Christian or whatever and it's like, all this stuff that goes on. But, but truth, hear me when I say this, truth is not about judgment, it's about love. So how do we keep speaking truth no matter even if we're no longer really have the leverage anymore or, or the cultural approval to speak that truth or the fact that nobody really wants to seem to hear it anymore? Well, I'm just going to give you something really basic. And we're going to take our cue from the disciples in Acts chapter 5. 
verse 29 through 32. And this is what it says. But Peter and the apostles answered. Now this is after they've been arrested and they told him, we don't want you talking the truth. We don't want you speaking about this again. And Peter said, and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him at the head at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things. And so in the Holy Spirit, so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So there's your answer, right? The truth we speak is never about us. Right? We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. It's always about God's word and Jesus as Savior. That's the truth we speak. What does God's word say? And you know what? If people get their feelings hurt, let the Holy Spirit do his work. Right? See, we're not called, we're called to speak the truth, but we're not called to change it or fix it. Like to kind of soften it, maybe. Right? To kind of make it more palatable for, for somebody to not have their feelings hurt. No, the truth is the truth. Right? And so we've got to be able to present that truth. But again, we only know that truth if we know his word. Right? We've got to know his word. It, it's, it's, it's so, so necessary. And so we're just called to know the truth and just speak it as clearly and as plainly as we can in love. And then let the Holy Spirit do His work. And, and, get, I, and I want to share this too because I don't, I don't want to give... Understand, you can share the truth and still be hated. You can share the truth and still not be accepted. You know why I know that? It's because Jesus shared the truth. And what happened to Jesus? They, they put him, hung him on a cross. Now, that was part of God's plan, but still, he spoke truth. But that should never kind of, you know, cause us to feel like I, I can't speak the truth because I'm, I'm so concerned about someone's emotional feeling or what. So to wrap it up, Christ-likeness is the goal, right? said to imitate him. So Jesus walked in love towards everyone, and so should we. We are to live by grace and truth and extend both to everyone in love. Now, I'm going to end it with this, this quote from um, the statement from the author uh, Randy Alcorn. And I, I just thought it was so imperative and, and really kind of had develops the heart of behind this in a sense. But it says this. Waiting for it to come up on the board. There. Instead of the world's apathy and tolerance, we offer grace. Instead of the world's relativism and deception, we offer truth. As believers, right? If we minimize grace the world sees no hope for salvation. If we minimize truth, the world sees no need for salvation. To show the world Jesus, we must offer 
full-orbed, unabridged truth and grace, magnifying both, never downsizing or apologizing for either. That is so true. That is so, so. If we minimize grace, the world sees no hope in salvation. If we minimize truth, the world sees no need for salvation. And so, as you walk in love, when you walk in love, walk in grace and in truth. Walk as though, hey, I'm loved, so therefore I love, but I'm going to walk in grace and truth towards every single person. Now again, doesn't mean in grace you are going to just say, oh, well, yeah, go ahead, you can keep living in your sin. That doesn't mean that. But you know what? You can look at them and say, I see you. God sees you. You are important to Him. And I want to help you with truth, get you out of what you're living in. Because it's so, so vitally important. And so to me, that's what it means to walk in love in a postmodern culture. For us to begin to practice that. So bow your heads with me for a second. And Holy Spirit, I just pray an extra an extra amount of grace and truth upon our, our people here today. with an understanding that they are to apply that to others so that they may walk in love, that they may navigate this very worldly culture that we walk in, that we live in, but that we can be different, that we can so let our light shine before men, right? They may see our good works and glorify our God. But Lord, even as Jesus walked, He walked in grace and in truth. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that as we go home today, as we walk in our daily uh, life throughout this week, that Holy Spirit, you would begin to, to give us deeper understanding, deeper revelation of what it means to walk in grace and in truth. To walk as Jesus walked. To be an imitator of Jesus to be more like Christ each and every day as we walk in love, we walk in grace, and we walk in truth. And so I, I just thank you for working in our hearts and our lives. I pray that if there was any, any barriers, anything that maybe, Lord, we, we hadn't seen before that, that caused us to, to, to kind of live our life based on feelings, Lord, I pray that 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 would begin to just fall to the ground, never to take root again in, in anyone's heart or mind. And that, Lord, they would recognize that first and foremost, that the warm fuzzies to feel you is not what it's about. It's about the fact that you already established you love us. Therefore, we should love others as well, even if we don't feel warm and fuzzy towards them. And so I thank you, Lord, for just 
um, opening that up to a whole new level in our lives. Lord, even in this community, open that up to a whole new level in our lives. Because Lord, we want to be more like you. Our desire is to be more like you and walk more like you. And so I thank you for doing it this week. I thank you for putting it all together in our lives this week. I thank you for uh, just um, helping us and reminding us, because you do that so well, Holy Spirit, about what it is to walk in grace and in truth towards others as we love them. In Jesus' name, Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.